Welcome to Grace Community Church this morning. <laughs> We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I'm the Women's Ministry Director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. And uh, this morning we're going to be continuing on in our study of the book of Leviticus with Leviticus chapters 21 and 22. Uh, as you know, Pastor Dennis has had a rough few months, and uh, so he is going to take a little time off and spend some time with his wife and, and recoup and, and refresh, and he'll be back with us in a few weeks. But uh, I'm glad to be here this morning to continue on in this study as if you were here last week. Then you heard Pastor Dennis speak, and I think, you know, he spoke the Sunday after his mother's funeral three months ago, and he spoke the Sunday after his father's funeral. Last week, he spoke after his father's funeral. And I really think he just gets really on fire after he, you know, after he comes through such a tragedy, and then he delivers such incredible sermons. If you were here last week, then you know what I'm talking about, because, yeah, because Leviticus 18 through 20 is, is some rough stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm thankful that I serve under a pastor who doesn't shy away from that tough stuff. And if you weren't here, if you didn't hear that message, or if you want to hear it again, we upload all our sermons weekly to YouTube, so you can go there and you can listen to them and you can share them with your friends and family. Uh, but Leviticus here in 21 and 22 switches gears just a little bit, whereas he has been talking to the people. He is now uh, talking directly to the priest and the high priest and giving them some rules and some guidelines for um, their lives. And if you've read through this on your own, then you may have wondered why we even needed this information, uh, why it's even in the Bible for us, how it even applies to us. And we're going to get to that. So don't worry about that. We're going to get to that. Uh, but in the meantime, as we work through these verses, I want you to pay close attention and note every time that you hear God say, I am the Lord or I am the one who makes you holy. Okay, we're going to be going through that and talking about that later. But as we dig into this, I want to remind you that Jesus is now our high priest. Okay, and, and the priests here in Leviticus are a foreshadowing of Jesus. So although no one can be perfect, no one is perfect but Jesus, the priests were expected to be as close to perfect as humanly possible. So everything about the priest had to be holy. What he wore, who he married, the things that he did, how he did those things, even the way that he shaved his beard, everything about him had to be holy. Everything mattered. So let's look at this in Leviticus chapter 21. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priest, the son of Aaron, and say to them, A priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die, except for a close relative, such as his mother or father, his son or daughter, his brother, or an unmarried sister who is dependent on him since she has no husband. For her he may make himself unclean. He must not make himself unclean for people related to him by marriage and so defile himself. So if you think about it, the priest's job required him to be clean. He was making the offerings and the sacrifices. He was required to be clean. And to touch a dead body meant that you were unclean for seven days. So it's basically seven days of quarantine. And the priest has a lot of duties. He doesn't have time for that. And so the Lord's telling him, you know, you can only make yourself unclean for close relatives. Verse 5, priests must not shave their heads or shave off the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. 
They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God because they present the food offerings to the Lord. The food of their God, they are to be holy. Now the Egyptians, remember they were in slavery to the Egyptians for over 400 years. And the Egyptians, when someone would die, they would rip their clothing, they would uh, cut themselves, they would shave their heads, they would trim the edges of their beards. And, um, and so did many other pagan nations that didn't follow God. And so God is telling, telling the Israelites, telling the high priest, we don't do that. We don't do that. Verse 7. They must not marry a woman defiled by prostitution or divorced from their husbands because priests are holy to their God. Regard them as holy because they offer up the food of your God. Consider them holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. If a priest's daughter defiles herself by becoming a prostitute, she disgraces her father, and she must be burned in the fire. Now, I know we read that, and we think, that's harsh, you know. But the, the, the actual punishment for prostitution was to be stoned to death. And so she, for a priest's daughter, she, it would be a step up. You know, she would be stoned to death, but then her body would also be burned because there were higher standards for the priest as well as the priest's family. Verse 10, the high priest, the one among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and who has been ordained to wear the priestly garments, because remember, he is the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Uh, into the actual presence of God, and he was only able to do that once a year on the Day of Atonement. So this is the high priest. Must not let his hair become unkempt or tear his clothes. He must not enter a place where there is a dead body. He must not make himself unclean even for his father or mother, nor leave the sanctuary of his God or desecrate it, because he has been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God. I am the Lord. So see, there's only one high priest and so he, can't, he has an even higher standard than the priest. So he can't even touch any dead body. He can't be unclean for any reason. Verse 13, the woman he marries must be a virgin. He must not marry a widow, a divorced woman, or a woman defiled by prostitution, but only a virgin from his own people so that he will not defile his offspring among his people. I am the Lord who makes him holy. So the high priest's offspring would have been uh, set apart for godly service. You know, his sons would have probably become priests. His, uh, one of his sons would have become the high priest after he passed away. And so it was very important to know that these children were his children. Okay, because they didn't have, they didn't have birth control in these days. And so if a woman was with a man, it was very possible that she would become pregnant. And they didn't have pregnancy tests. So she could become pregnant and not know it for several months and marry someone else, and then it could become confusing whose child this was. You know, they didn't have Jerry Springer. Yeah. <laughs> Can't go on and find out who the baby daddy is. Yeah, they didn't have DNA testing or anything like that. And so the only way to avoid any of this confusion would be for her to only be with one man, for his wife to only be with one man. And so the high priest was to marry a virgin. Verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or disformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand or who is a hunchback or a dwarf 
or who has any eye defect, or who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. No descendant of Aaron, the priest, who has any defect is to come near to present the food offerings to the Lord. He has a defect. He must not come near to offer the food of his God. He may eat the most holy food of his God as well as the holy food. Yet because of his defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar and so desecrate my sanctuary. I am the Lord who makes them holy. So Moses told this to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. Now, on first reading that, I know it sounds kind of harsh. Because God is saying that to make the food offerings, to be a priest, you can't have any defects or deformities. And so we know that to be a priest, number one, you have to have Levi jeans. Remember, G-E-N-E-S. <laughs> Levi jeans. They have to be a Levite. They have to be a descendant of Aaron. Um, that's the first qualification. Second qualification is no deformities or defects. And before we get offended by that, let's keep in mind that the high priest is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, of our perfect Jesus Christ. And the, the, the animals that are offered for the sacrifices, they're required to be perfect. They're required to be without blemish as well because they're symbolic of Jesus Christ. But we don't get quite as offended when we're talking about animals. <laughs> when we're talking about people, it, it, it kind of stings a little bit. But they had to be perfect. The priests had to be perfect and without blemish too because they represented Jesus Christ. And there were, they had to meet these certain physical requirements to be the high priest. Because they represented Jesus and also because they had a lot of responsibilities to perform. It's like we think about our military. In our military, there are a lot of physical visible requirements that people have to meet to be in our military you know it varies from branch to branch but they can't be blind or lame or too short or too tall for that matter there's 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 requirements that they have to meet and we're not offended by those because we know that it's for their protection that there's reasons for that it's for their protection it's for our protection and we shouldn't be offended by the requirements of the high priest either because he had a very important job. He represented God to the people, and he represented the people to God. And he was, he was responsible for the well-being of their souls. He was responsible for making the offerings and helping them to restore their relationship to God. He had a very important position, and there were some requirements, some prerequisites, some higher standards for that position. He's not saying that he doesn't like people with defects or deformities or we'd all be in trouble, right? But no, he's not saying that. He's saying that he can use them to serve in other positions and, and he can use them in the fellowship. They can be included in the fellowship of the church, but they just can't serve as the high priest. And we see in the New Testament, we learn that God has given each of us spiritual gifts to be used in service to God. And all of our gifts are different. He has blessed us with these different gifts. And just like everyone is not meant to be the priest, there are discerning factors to find out who needs to be the priest and who doesn't. There are discerning factors called spiritual gifts that show us what we need to be doing for the Lord. You know, there are, there are included in this are certain talents and abilities that we just naturally have. You know, if you have a beautiful voice, you should be using that voice for the Lord. You should be singing to the Lord. And if you don't, you don't need to join the worship team. <laughs> okay. Not only because you can't sing, but because that means you've been gifted with something else. 
And you need to not be trying, spinning your wheels, trying to do something he hasn't blessed you to do. And focus on the gifts that he's given you and use those for him. Because that's what he's designed you for. Um, you know, we, we all, I, I see it so much, people just want to, they, they see ministry as a certain thing, as a certain position. And they think that they need to fill that position. But God has gifted you for something, and we all need each other to make the body complete and to make this all work. We each have something that God has has called us to do. It's a calling, just like the priest had a calling on their lives. But there are standards and criteria that must be met in certain areas. It's like next week I'm going to be flying on an airplane. Have any of you flown on an airplane? Most of you probably have, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and guess that you probably didn't go meet the pilot and check his credentials, make sure that it was okay for him to fly your plane. I'm not going to be doing that either because I, like you, am trusting that the powers that be have made sure that my pilot has met the criteria to fly my airplane. If I walk into the airport and I see a big sign that says, now hiring pilots, no experience necessary, start today, I'm going to be a little concerned because there's prerequisites for this job, I'm pretty sure. But other jobs, you know, like the guy that comes in and hooks up the hose and, and dumps the toilets in between flights, you know, I mean, if, if he messes up his job, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad, but it's not life-threatening. So I'm okay if he receives on-the-job training. But not my pilot. My pilot is the guy with all the responsibility. He's the one that's held to a higher standard, as is the priest. Even today, the Bible tells us that God holds pastors to a higher standard. And James even goes as far to tell us as in James 3.1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that he who teaches will be judged with greater strictness. So that's some pressure right there. But with all the rules and all the regulations, the Lord is trying to set the priest up for success. He says that a priest can't be married to a woman who's been married before. He can't marry someone who's been divorced. The fact that he tells them that they can't marry someone who's been divorced tells me that that the Israelites were allowed to do that. But the high priest wasn't. He he couldn't marry a, a widow. There's nothing sinful about being a widow. But he couldn't marry a widow or a prostitute. He couldn't marry a prostitute, understandably. But he couldn't marry even even a former prostitute. And you know, God didn't hate prostitutes. He didn't. He hates prostitution. And he desires that, that, that every sinner turn from their sin and follow him. But he didn't hate prostitutes. We see that with Rahab. You know, Rahab is, the, is one of five women, only five women listed in the lineage, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And she was a former prostitute. We see that he directed his prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. So it's not about that. It's not about that. The fact is that the high priest was to marry a virgin. He was to, to marry someone who was pure. She was to be pure just like the church is to be pure. We see in the New Testament that that Jesus is our high priest and that the church is his bride. We are the bride of Christ, and we are to remain pure. We are to be committed to one God 
and only one God, the one true God. We are to remain pure. Leviticus 22, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to treat with respect the sacred offerings the Israelites consecrate to me, so they will not profane my holy name. I am the Lord. So these priests, they were carrying out the offerings and the sacrifices, and as they were carrying out these duties that they had at the tabernacle, the people were watching. And they were to do this in a way that demonstrated the, the values and the character of their God. Because that's what the people were looking at. You know, as they went about their job, as they went about their lives, their lives were to demonstrate that, that their God is holy, that he is to be respected, that he's to be approached with reverence. As we, as Christians, live out our lives, people are watching. And they need to see through us an example of God's values and God's character. They need to see through us that our God is holy, that he deserves respect, that he should be approached with reverence. The way we go about our lives is being watched. The New Testament says that we are now the high priest, or we are now the priest. Jesus is our high priest. And that we as Christians have a responsibility to represent God well. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, 1 Peter 2.9. We are to represent him well with our lives, in the choices that we make, in the words that we use, in the places that we go. We are to represent him with the actions of our lives. It communicates the values and the character of the God that we served, and we must serve him well. We must represent him well. The priests were to look different. We are to look different. You know, the world tells us that we're to fit in and that we're to look like them, but we're not. We are to stand out as different in, in the way that we respond to people, in the way that we do our job, in the choices that we make. We are to look different from someone who doesn't know God. And that difference should intrigue people. It should draw people in. The way that we, the way that we deal with sin, the way that we deal with death, should draw people to us, should make them curious about our God. It should draw them to him. The way that we live our lives should help them understand who God is. The role of the priest was vital to the mission of God. And our role as Christians is vital to the mission of God. Our purpose is to reach others for Christ. Our purpose all, every single person here, your purpose in life, it, no matter how you do it, everybody looks different. But our purpose is to draw people to Jesus Christ, to draw people to God, to increase his kingdom, to help them repair their relationship with him, to draw them near to him again, just like the priest. That's our mission. Verse 9. The priests are to perform my service in such a way that they do not become guilty and die for treating it with contempt. I am the Lord who makes them holy. We saw back in Leviticus chapter 10 that two of Aaron's sons found this out the hard way. You know, God says what he means, and he means what he says. Verse 10, no one outside the priest's family may eat the sacred offering. 
nor may the guest of a priest or his hired worker eat it. But if a priest buys a slave with money, or if slaves are born in his household, they may eat his food. If a priest's daughter marries another, anyone other than a priest, she may not eat any of the sacred contributions. But if a priest's daughter becomes a widow or is divorced yet has no children, and she returns to live in her father's household as in her youth, she may eat her father's food. No unauthorized person, however, may eat it. See, the priest's job was, was to be a priest full-time. So he didn't have, he didn't have livestock. He, didn't, he wasn't growing vegetables. He was not doing all of those things. So the way that he provided for his family was the Lord provided for the family through the sacred offerings. And so the priest and his immediate family were able to eat those offerings, but not just anyone who just showed up for dinner could eat those offerings. They were sacred, and they were specifically for the priest and his family. And notice that it says if the daughter doesn't marry a priest, then she can't eat the offering. But if she's divorced or widowed, she can. So see, he has nothing against widows or divorced people. You know, God hates divorce. He does. He hates divorce. If you've ever been through a divorce or someone that you love has been through a divorce, then you probably hate divorce too. It's not something that a loving Heavenly Father wants us to go through. The next verses talk about the animals brought for sacrifices, and it reiterates that all of the animals are to be without blemish and without defect. Verse 24 says, You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose testicles are bruised, crushed, torn, or cut. You must not do this in your own land, and you must not accept such animals from the hand of a foreigner and offer them as the food of your God. They will not be accepted on your behalf because they are deformed and have defects. See, it was a a temptation for the people to just offer anything to the Lord. You know, to be like, well, you know, that one's deformed or that one's blind or that one's lame or that one's testicles is crushed. It can't reproduce. So let's just go ahead and give that one to God. You know, I'm sure they didn't say that out loud, but they were thinking it. And God's like, no. He's like, no, you give me your best. And I know we kind of laugh and think, well, geez, you know, how did they think they could get away with that? Why, why did they think that was okay? Yeah, we do that. Every day we do that. Um, you know, we offer God our seconds. We offer him our leftover time, our leftover money, our leftover stuff. You know, when I used to serve in youth ministry, people all the time would come and say, oh, we want to donate this to the youth ministry. And I'd be like, great. I want to donate a TV to the youth ministry. And I'm like, awesome. Thank you so much. And they come in lugging this big old box TV from the 80s. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is that the TV? <laughs> yeah, we bought a 65-inch flat screen. And uh, we thought we'd give this one to the church. I'm like, okay. It works really good. You might have to smack it a couple of times if the picture goes out, but it works really good. <laughs> Oh, okay, really? That's, that's what you're going to give to the church? <laughs> you know, but we live in a world where we sell the good stuff on eBay and swap and shop. And we give the, the torn up junk to the church and to the poor. And then we still feel good about ourselves for it. You know, and God's saying, no. God's saying, give me your best. And I know uh, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. You know, I get that. But but come on, <laughs> it's the church. In 2 Samuel 24, there was a plague in Israel. And the Lord uh, told King David to build an altar to him on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And so David went to Arana 
And he told him what the Lord said. And Ron's like, okay, I'll give you the threshing floor. I'll give you the wood to build the altar. I'll even give you the animal to sacrifice. And David said, no. David said, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Don't give to the Lord that which is worthless, that which is of no value. You know, it, you wouldn't do that with your spouse. It would be insulting, right? If you could give this, if you chose to give this instead, it speaks of the value of the person that you're giving it to, right? That's a, that speaks of your time and that speaks of material things as well. The offerings here in the Old Testament were to be as close to perfect as possible. Because they're symbolic of Jesus, our perfect, spotless, sacrificial lamb. God gave us his best, and God deserves our best. God deserves our best. And I know when we get saved, we say things like, I surrendered my life to the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord. I have dedicated my life to Christ. But then if you actually look at our lives, they don't look a whole lot different sometimes. Than they did before. You know, our lives get so busy that we just don't make time for God. You know, we're so busy that we don't have time to, to pray. We don't have time to read our Bibles. Now we have time for Netflix and we have time for Candy Crush and we have time for you know Facebook, but we don't have time to pray. You know, I think a, a lot of us we pray before we go to sleep at night. Like, literally, like, mid-prayer, we go to sleep at night. And I, I'm kind of, I have mixed feelings about that because I don't think that God minds that the last conversation of the day we have is with Him. I don't think God minds that our last thoughts of the day are on Him or that we fall asleep in His presence. I don't think God minds any of that. But if that's the only time that we pray is when we're completely exhausted and we're given in the last few minutes of our day because we have nothing else to do, that's insulting. The God of the universe deserves more than that. He deserves our focused time and our focused attention on him. And he deserves our service. You know, the priests were to serve God with excellence in everything they did, and we are too. Not perfection, because we're not perfect, but we're to give him our very best. You know, greeters, you can open that door on Sunday morning with a big smile and say, Welcome to Grace Community Church. We're glad you're here. Or, really, you could just stand back, let them open the door for themselves, be like sanctuaries that way. (laughs) I've seen that done. Not here. Not by our greeters, but I've seen that done, and it's sad, and it's embarrassing. Because on the one hand, you're representing God really well. And then on, in that other scenario, I can see why a person would think, well, God's representatives aren't happy to see me. They're not glad I'm here. And maybe God isn't happy to see me either. What we do matters. We represent God in everything that we do, just like 1 Peter 2.9 said. We are his royal priesthood. We are his representatives. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are his representatives, his hands and feet on this earth. We are to represent him well. Do everything with excellence as if, as if working for God and not for man. 
God deserves our best, and he deserves our best now. He deserves our best now. I meet people all the time, and there may be some in this room today, that are like, I'm going to serve God later. After I get done with this, after I get through this part of my life, I'm going to serve God later. And it makes me think of, of the time in my life when I, felt the Lord's, when I first felt the Lord's calling on my life. And I was working as a bill collector. I know, we all love those guys, right? <laughs> but uh, I was working as a bill collector, and I was good at it. When I, when I, in my last few years of that position, I was the manager. So I was managing all the collectors on the dialers that call all day long, every single day. I was filing the legal documents, and I was going to court, and I was issuing the wage garnishments. And, and people hated me, and I hated me. I did. When I, filed, when I filed paperwork against people who, hardworking people, just barely getting by, their insurance didn't pay their medical bill, and I was suing them for that medical bill, I didn't feel good about myself. And I felt like that if I surrendered my life to God, that he would cause me to leave that job, that he would convict me of it, and I would have to switch positions, I would have to switch careers. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to because I was making good money. I was making really good money. And this was 20 years ago, but I was making good, even in today's standards, I was making pretty good money. And I liked, my, I liked the people I worked with. I liked my office. I liked my hours. I didn't want to leave. And I'd like to say that I did, that I did leave my job and follow God, but I didn't. My boss got sick, and we ended up closing the business and he moved me into another business that he owned, and I became a mortgage loan processor, much more respectable work. And I did surrender my life to Christ after that, and I was actually able to share my faith with my boss before he passed away, so I'm grateful for that. But I wasted a lot of time, a lot of time, delaying my surrender to God because I didn't want to give up something that I was afraid that he would convict me of. And there are people in this room today that there are areas of your life that he is convicting you of. And you don't want to surrender that to him. And you're holding back from him because you don't want to surrender those areas. Because honestly, they're more important to you than God. Otherwise, you would surrender them. And he's saying to you, just like he said over and over again in this passage, he's saying to you, I am the Lord, I am your God. Verse 32, do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. Remember I said in the beginning of this message to notice how many times he says that. He says, I am the Lord. I am the one who makes you holy. And if you've been paying attention, he says it a lot. He says it over and over and over again. If you read straight through, you'll, you'll start feeling like you're repeating yourself, especially if you read it out loud, because he says it so many times. I am the Lord. I am your God. I am the one who makes you holy. Holy, holy, holy. And it's like in school, you know, they tell you if the teacher repeats something over and over, then that means they, they, they really want you to get it. You know, it's probably on the test. He wants you to get this here. He wants us to get that it is God who makes us holy, not our works. 
It is God that makes us holy. If we look back on all these rules for the priest, you'll see him saying, I am the Lord who makes them holy. I am the Lord who makes him holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. He says, do this and don't do that. But then he reminds them, but I am the Lord who makes you holy. Not these works. God and God alone makes us holy, period. He says, I'm the one that sanctifies you. I make you holy. Good behavior does not make you holy. God does. If you were to go out into our community and ask 100 people the question, how do you get to heaven? A big percentage of those people would say, by being a good person. And that's not true. No one is going to get into heaven by being a good person. There's one way to heaven. There's one way to heaven through the power of the cross. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he took on our sin and shame. And our, our sin and shame was transferred to him and his holiness was transferred to us. He made us holy. We're not holy by our behavior. We are made holy Because of God, he's the only one that can make us holy. But because we're holy, we behave differently. You know, when a a non-Christian says, oh, he's all holier than thou. Well, they're kind of right, in a way. Because the only way to be holy is through Jesus. And if you know Jesus and they don't, then you're holier than them. Technically. I'm kidding, sort of. I'm kidding, sort of. Because usually when they say that, they're saying that we act holier than thou. They're talking about our behavior and the way that we treat them. And that's, that's not something to be proud of. If we are acting like we are better than them, like the, like the Pharisees did. If you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the collector, it says in Luke 18, verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, these robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee was so caught up in following the rules and checking them off. He was so caught up in behavior that he forgot God. He didn't see his need for God. He was doing all in and of himself. And he was very proud. He thought he was better than others. He thought that he was a great representative of God. Yet he wasn't. He, he wasn't. And so in closing today, I ask you to think about this. Think about your own life. How are you representing God? 
Do you represent him well? Does your behavior, does the words of your mouth, does the way that you treat others, does it draw people to God? Or does it push them away? How well do you represent him in your job, in your home, at school, with your family, when you hang out with your friends? How well do you represent him? Are there areas of your life that you're holding back from him? that you don't want to surrender to him. I encourage you today to do that, to surrender all those areas to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Lord, we ask that you have mercy on us sinners. Lord, we love you. We want to please you with our lives. We thank you for sending us your very best, for sending us your son to die on the cross for us, to make a way for us to come to you. Lord, we thank you that you place that much value on us, that you find us worthy. Lord, that you love us unconditionally. Lord, may we love you with such a great love. Lord, may we represent you well in everything we say and everything we do. May we glorify you. In Jesus' name.